All right. Why don't you get your Bible and turn with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I, I want to start a series this weekend called Limitless. Limitless. And um, this is really just probably my passion, my heart, but my burden. And that is that I want you to, to take, take the limits off of God and take the limits off of you and take the limits off of your life. And I want you to live the life that, that God says you can live. Like if God says you can be healthy and prosper, I want you to be healthy and prosper. If God says you can live free, I want you to live free. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Th this earth is full of limits, and, and we limit ourselves and we limit God and then we're not able to live the life that God wants us to live. And so for me, like my, my heart is that I don't want there to be any potential left in your casket, right? Because my concern about most cemeteries is if you go to a cemetery, they're full of potential. And I don't want there to be any potential left in your grave. I want you to live the life God has called you to. I want you to dream big. I want you to hope big. I want you to live just extraordinary lives for God because I think that's possible. I think that's what God has called us into. And this earth seems to teach us that we're very limited, right? Uh, in fact, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, um, there's like 5,000, we know 5,000 men, you know, people speculate the attendance could have been 20,000, 25,000, something like that. Lots of people. And, and, and Jesus has been preaching all day. And I just want to say, you may think that I'm long-winded. I've never preached all day to one group of people. You're safe. I'm just saying. I know what you're thinking. Well, if you were the Messiah, I'd stay and listen. I get it. Totally get it. No problem. I'm with you. But anyways, he's preaching all day. The disciples come up and they're like, hey, Jesus, it's really good stuff. You should make this a book. Um, <laughs> and, and so then they say, but you know, the people are going to need to eat. And essentially we, the disciples meet Jesus with the limitations of earth. And it looked like this. One of them says there are too many people to feed. Like there are too many people. There's no water burger, right? Too many people. No Jesus chicken. That's Chick-fil-A. Um, all right. Too many people. In other words, there is a limitless problem, unlimited problem. And then they said, then they look again and they said, but we found a boy who went to Long John Silver's on his way out. He's got two fish fillets, five hush, hush puppies. Um, and, and now we have a limited supply. Limited supply, unlimited problem. This is what earth teaches you. Like, I don't know if you've known this, but there's limits here. Like, there's limits to how much chocolate you can eat before you get sick. I don't like that, but there's a limit. There's a limit to how much bluebell you can eat before you get fat. I don't like that at all. And I have tested those limits. Why are you laughing? And so, right, I, I found out this past week that we had a problem. They, they came, you know, when, when we signed up for this system and all in our house to make it a smart, smart house. I've decided I like dumb houses. Because our house got so smart that it would shut off the AC and wouldn't let us turn it on. Or it would just keep the AC running and wouldn't let us turn it off. And so I called the company, which I will remain nameless because I'm responsible. And I said, hey, we need to fix this. And they said, yeah, we could get a technician out there in about two weeks. But I don't, maybe you're not understanding what I'm saying 
we can't control our air conditioner and we live in Texas. We could get someone out there. And t- Anyways, here's what I found. There was a limit to the support they could supply and there was a limit to how much patience I could give them. The earth's full of limits. What I love about this in Feeding the 5,000, they look and they say, and by the way, these are the two things you run into. The problem is too big. What I have is too little, right? It's what you, like, too many bills, too little paycheck. Too big a diagnosis, too little time, too little health, too little resource, whatever it is, right? Um, and so, so Jesus shows them that, yeah, in the world, I, I get it, like in the world, there's, there's too many people and too little food. But then he said, but in the kingdom, there's an unlimited supply. And, and when you take what you have and translate it into the kingdom, it's always more than enough. Right? Of, of the fragments that remain, there was enough to fill 12 baskets full after the 20,000 people ate. All from a Long John Silver value mail. I don't even know if they had the little crispies in there. I'm not allowed to eat Long John Silvers. It doesn't work in my macros. It doesn't work in my diet. I wish I could. I can't. I'm okay with it. But do you see what I'm saying? And so I, I want to kind of spend some time shattering some of these mentalities that keep us limited because I think what God's called you to is extraordinary. And I think the plans that he has for you are without limit. And you're the only one that limits who God is and who he can be through you. You limit who God is and what he can do through you. You're the governor. And so I want to talk about that. Isaiah 9, um, verse, verse 7 It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This was the scripture that came to me when I started off, uh, of the increase. And I know a lot of people think, well, this is in that Christmas passage, you know, like the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And this is a Christmas scripture. It's a messianic prophecy about the the birth of Jesus. I know the child is born, son is given. But believe it or not, even though they're Christmas passages, they're really still 365ers, like they're truth every day, not just one month out of the year, right? And so this is one of those that the increase of his government and peace. I love that. Of the increase of his, let me give you two words, sovereignty or rule and peace or substance. Of the increase of his sovereignty and substance, there will not be an end. In other words, this is an unlimited kingdom with an unlimited supply, substance. Are you with me? I call this message Unlimited supply, right? Unlimited supply. Because this is the story of an unlimited kingdom. And in fact, I love when I go back into the original language, like the Hebrew, not because I'm smart, uh, but because I have great Bible software. And, and so I go into those. And, and when it says the increase, that's the abounding, the abounding. And then government is actually, you could put there dominance. Of the abounding of his dominance, there will be no end. Like that is without limit. Could we agree? And, and the sovereignty, that's the rule. And then peace is shalom. That's the substance of the kingdom. The rule of the kingdom, the substance of the kingdom. Shalom is, is an all-encompassing kind of well-being word. It speaks to, to our wholeness, to our health, to our prosperity, to our relationships, to our peace, 
to, 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 our, to our soul, to our psyche. It's, it's a well-being word. It's substance. It has, has gravity to it. And so, so he said, of the, of, of the rain and of the substance of the kingdom, there's no end. It's limitless. It's limitless. Here's what I need you to understand. And so if you're about to go to sleep before I finish, then write this down. And when you wake up tomorrow, you'll know what we talked about. But write this down. Write this down. If, if you're going to live a limitless life, you must understand your relationship to a limitless kingdom. Write it down. It will make sense at the end. If you're going to live a limitless life, you must you must understand your relationship to a limitless kingdom. Now, I know when we're talking about the kingdom of God, it's a little bit ambiguous. And if you study the Bible, it's a little bit ambiguous. And the problem a lot of people have, and I can't preach this sermon even though I'd like to, is that most people think the Bible is a book about a religion, and it's not. It's not a religion textbook. It's not a religious handbook. The Bible is not about a religion at all. Just say amen. amen. All right. The Bible is a book about a kingdom. It's about a king. It's about a kingdom. It's about a rule. It's about a reign. It's about colonizing a new planet. And it's about sons and daughters of the king. It's about a royal family. The Bible is the constitution of the kingdom. It's how it works. It's the bill of rights of the kingdom. It's what we have as sons and daughters. The Bible is a revelation of a kingdom. It is not a religion. In other words, if, if you think this whole thing is about, we have this book, and this book tells us how we act, and then if we act good, at the end, when we die, we become fat cherubs in togas with harps on a cloud singing worship songs to God for the rest of our life. I hate to tell you, but someone misinformed you about what actually goes on here. That's not good news. That's hell, friend. I have no desire to be a fat baby in a toga with a harp floating on a cloud. I've been a fat baby long enough. No, Jesus said this whole thing was about a kingdom. In fact, he, he starts his gospel, his message with the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, here's the thing about the kingdom of God. It's, it's now and it's not yet. It's here but it's also coming. It's around us, but it's also in us. We know in part, then we will know in full. We see in part, then we will see clearly. Are you with me? So let me give you three D words to kind of give you some context for the kingdom. Uh, number one, number one is uh, dwelling, dwelling. Uh, the whole Bible is about the dwelling of God. What was the Garden of Eden if it wasn't a place for God to dwell with Adam and Eve? Dwelling, right? What was the tabernacle? God dwelling with man. What was the temple? God dwelling with man. What was Pentecost? God being able to dwell with man, right? Jesus, when he was crucified, the veil was rent so God could come out of the holy place and not kill man. How does this thing end? Well, John said, I saw a new Jerusalem coming down and the dwelling place of God is with men. Where is that? On the earth. Where was John when he saw it? On the earth. Saw Jerusalem coming to the earth. And now behold, he says, the dwelling place of God is with man. What's the whole thing about? It's about dwelling. Believe it or not, this is not about us escaping the earth and all the mean unbelievers. And then we get to watch God nuke them. 
He said he has given us the nations as our inheritance. Why do you want God to nuke your inheritance? That doesn't make sense, does it? But I know we've been taught that. We've been taught it, right? Like, like we think we're, it's like the ark had an observation deck so no one in his family could laugh at the people that didn't believe him. And, and somehow we, we think that, yeah, and it's like we'll get to tell you, see, you should have believed my message. You, you made fun of the fish on my car. It's not what this is about, friend. They're our inheritance. The nations are our inheritance. This earth is our inheritance. We're going we're gonna to end up here ruling and reigning with Jesus. So it's all about dwelling. God wants to dwell with man. By the way, this is, this is why satisfaction only comes from the presence of God. Right? I mean, have, have, hopefully we have, but have we not figured out yet? The bar always moves. There's always a new car. Get Wi-Fi in your house. Now you have Wi-Fi in your car. There's a new position, there's a new neighborhood, there's a new house. No matter what you get, there's something else. There's a new relationship, there's a new toy, there's a new motorcycle. Have we not figured out? Have y'all figured out the bar just keeps moving? No matter what you get, there's something newer. So you roll the debt you have from the car into the new car and add it onto its debt, and now you owe you know $200,000 for an $80,000 car, and then you pull up the red light two years later and someone's got a new one, and you just do it all over again because this one's not as new and nice as that one. The bar never stops moving. The flesh is never satisfied. Why? Why is it that? Because you were created for the presence of God. It's the only place to find contentment because stuff will always just be stuff. It won't matter how much stuff you have. Are you with me? Because it's all about the dwelling, God dwelling with man. So dwelling and then, and then also um, dominion. It's about the rule and the reign of God over the earth. This Bible tells this story about how God wanted to colonize a planet with heaven. That's probably the best picture. And so he, he created a garden. He created an ambassador called Adam, who was his son. And he said, I want you to take dominion, subdue, and multiply. I want you to rule. I want you to have dominion, have rulership, have sovereignty, Oh, be the sovereign of the earth. I want earth to look like heaven. That's why Jesus told us to pray. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are, are you with me? And so, so I want earth to look like heaven. And so this was about extending or expanding the rule of God, the rule of the spiritual kingdom over a physical planet. And God never changed his mind. And that's why Jesus came. And that's what the Great Commission is about. That's why he said, when you go into a town, uh, offer your peace. What is peace? The substance of the kingdom. He said, if they reject the peace, in other words, it's the presence of God again, substance of the kingdom, if they reject it, shake your, shake your dust off your feet and go on to the next place, right? Go on to the next place. Why? Because if they reject the substance of the kingdom, they'll reject the sovereignty of the kingdom. Most of the time, Jesus led with substance, healed the sick, and then taught them sovereignty. I think sometimes in church we get that backwards. Try to teach people how to act in the kingdom instead of offering the substance of the kingdom. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Substance, no condemnation. Then go and sin no more. Are you with me? So it's about dominion. And then dynasty. It's about the fact that we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. It's Revelation 5, Revelation 20, 2 Timothy that we're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus on the earth. 
So when you're thinking about the kingdom of God, it's his rule, it's his dominion, it's his reign. It's expanding his rule and dominion and reign, his dwelling to the earth. Are you with me? It helps me if you just even blink. It just helps me. <laughs> and so, so that's the kingdom of God. And so I want you to understand that we have an unlimited kingdom of the increase in his government. There'll be no end. So let me, let me just walk you through some things. Hopefully this will make sense. Number one, you could write this down. We have a limitless God. We have a God without limits. We have a God without limits. In fact, Psalm 90 verse 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In other words, there's not a beginning. There is not an end. You, you are before the beginning. You are after the end. You are without limits. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In fact, if we were in Bible school, I would teach you the three omnis of God, right? Um, uh, because this is what, what we kind of say the characteristics of who God is. The, kind of the definition of him is that, number one, he's omnipotent. In other words, he is all-powerful. There is no limit to what he can do. All things are possible to him who believes, right? With God, no, nothing is impossible with God, right? The reason is, is because he is all-powerful. Ephesians 1.19 says, the immeasurable greatness of your power. The immeasurable, if, it's, if it can't be measured, right? then it is without limitation. The unlimited greatness of your power. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. We call this omniscient. God is all-knowing. 1 John 3.20 says that when our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. I love that because even when we condemn ourselves, God is not condemning us. And then it says he knows everything. He knows everything about us and doesn't condemn us. I like that. But the reality is he knows everything. He is without limit in what he knows. He knows everything. And then omnipresent, okay? God, God is present everywhere. Psalm 139.7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now, when I was in Bible school, they used to kind of make it sound like God was just everywhere, but I didn't like that because I felt like it shrunk God down to something I could understand. I think rea reality is God is just so big that everything happens in his presence, right? We are always in the presence of God because of God's, ex the expanse and the greatness of who he is, right? And, and you could go on. There are other, like I thought I could add some omnis, like God is omni good. I don't know the word for that, but omni good. In other words, there, there's, his mercy is new every morning, right? His faithfulness never, never ceases. His loving kindness it, it extends forever. I mean, God, God is all the time good. I don't know about you, but I need a God. There, there are people that they're their own God and I get that, but I don't want to be my own God because I know the limits that I have. I'm not all powerful. I don't know everything. I don't even know everything about me. Right? And, 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 and so I, I need I need a God. I, I, I need a God who is always, that I'm always in his presence. He is always near. He is always good. He is always powerful. And he knows everything. I, I need a God. I need a God that's been around the block, that knows how to guide me, knows how to lead me, knows how I was made, knows what I was created for, and knows how to get me to where I'm supposed to be, and has the power to do whatever he says about my life. He can do it. I need a God. And so we have a limitless God. Here's the second thing. We have a, a limitless kingdom. Isaiah 9, of, of the abounding dominance. I like that. His abounding dominance will never end. In other words, 
His kingdom is without limit. Psalm 145, 13 says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Um, Luke 4, Jesus starts preaching the gospel. And in Luke 4, 18 and 19, um, he, he preaches in church, maybe for the first time, I don't really know. Um, but, but he comes in, he reads from the book of the prophet Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. So Isaiah wrote this. It's another messianic uh, promise or prophecy. But the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Watch this, to proclaim the good news. Now that's preached the gospel. You need to understand with Jesus, there was one gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. I know, I know that in modern Christendom, we have made the gospel something less than that. And, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's incomplete. But to me, there is a difference between saying, hey, Jesus came to forgive you so that when you die, you can go to heaven. There's that gospel. And then Jesus seemed to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't saying, change your behavior or God's gonna get you. What he was saying is there is now a kingdom. It is here and it is coming. It is now and it is not yet. But you have not been taught to interact with this kingdom. You've been without it. So you're going to have to change some things, what you trust, how you live. Can't walk by sight. Got to walk by faith. Going to have to change some things to interact with a kingdom that is very much here and very much now and is also there and coming. Difference in message. Jesus' message seemed to offer power. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, right? The other message seemed to say everybody will be happy after you die. right? Now, is it true that we can go to heaven? True. Is it true that we might be disembodied spirits in the presence of God at some point? That is true. But is it true that's where it ends? No, because your Bible says eschatology. If you really study eschatology and the end and how this thing culminates, it comes back the dwelling place with God and man on the earth where we reign with Jesus in new glorified bodies in a remade creation. That's how it ends. Are you with me? And so we are living here to there, now to then. Are you with me? And so Jesus in Luke chapter four, he said, here's, let me explain some differences in earth or the kingdom of this world and my kingdom. And so he goes, he's anointing me to preach the gospel to the poor. In other words, in earth, there's poverty in my kingdom, there's prosperity. Earth is limited in resource. My kingdom is unlimited in resource. Do you see that? And he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Earth is all about slaves. The kingdom's all about sons. You're in bondage. I've come to free you. I've come to make you sons. Earth, bondage, kingdom, sons, right? Okay, and the recovering of sight to the blind. Earth, sickness, limits in health. Kingdom, not limited in health. Healing is provided here. Are you with me? And then it said, at liberty, those who are oppressed. In other words, there is brokenness and there is wholeness. If you live in earth, you're gonna be broken. In fact, you're born broken. You're crushed by the fall. But he's saying there is wholeness. He restores our souls. Are you with me? So Jesus is preaching the gospel of what? The kingdom. Nowhere in here did he say, he's preaching the good news that you can die and go to heaven. No, he's saying, here's the good news. There's a kingdom here and coming now and not yet. And in this kingdom, it offers prosperity in place of poverty. It offers healing in place of sickness. It offers freedom in place of bondage. And it offers wholeness in place of brokenness and is here and is now. And you can receive from it. It is unlimited. 
I'm sorry, I'll have church and y'all can watch. And so, um, so limitless kingdom. And then, and then you need to write this down. And I know this is a lot, limitless access. Like here's what makes this thing work because you're like, yeah, I get it. God's unlimited. His kingdom's unlimited. But do you understand that you have unlimited access to an unlimited God and an unlimited kingdom? Uh, there's this man, Nicodemus, he, he comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, and he says, Jesus, obviously you must at least know God because you're doing some wacky stuff here. People are getting up out of graves and caskets and water's turned into wine and blind people get to see and deaf people get to hear and lepers aren't lepers anymore. Obviously you must be acquainted with God. And they have this conversation and Jesus says this, he says, very truly, I tell you, this is verse 5 of John 3. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and the Spirit. Born of water and the Spirit, no one can enter. Now, I remember reading this as a kid and, and in kind of the religi religious world. I remember thinking, oh, this is good because what this means is because I've been born again, one day, one day I'll get to enter the kingdom because the kingdom was only there, not here. It was only then, not now. Right? Are you with me? And so it, it was great to have an unlimited kingdom. One day I'll get to experience that. And it was great to have an unlimited God. One day I'll get to meet him. And so I, I got my ticket now so that I could get into Disneyland later. Are you with me? The only problem is, remember Colossians 1, it says that he has delivered. Is that, what verb tense is that? Delivered. Duh. Past tense, right. And then he is conveyed, what verb tense? Past tense. That's what he said. When you believed in Jesus, you were delivered from the kingdom of this world and conveyed. And so where are you now? It's only two places you can be, in the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. If he said you were delivered from this world and conveyed, then where are you now? In the kingdom. But are you on earth? Yes. But are you in the kingdom? Yes. Because you're in the kingdom, the kingdom's in you, and the kingdom's all around you, and it's here, and it's not yet, and it's now, and it's coming. It's around you, and it's in you. See, here's the challenge of a believer. Learning to live from a kingdom you can't see while living in a world you can see. Because... The Bible is not telling us how to get to heaven. <laughs> it's actually telling us how to live in the kingdom while on the earth. Remember that little, I mean, it's kind of a cheesy preacher thing, basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. Right? But, but really what the Bible is, it's basic instructions on how to live in a kingdom you can't see while in a world you can see. That's why Paul would say things like, you're, you're foreigners and strangers here. But I'm from Texas. <laughs> but you're foreigners and strangers. Why? Because this is not where your citizenship is. You transferred citizenship. Uh, my daughter was, was born in Korea, and now she's an American. And she's an American citizen. Interesting enough, if, if we take her to Korea, and she lives in Korea, she's a foreigner and a stranger, because she's American, even if she's living in Korea. Because her citizenship is not in Korea, it's in the United States. 
Your citizenship is not in the kingdom of this world. It's in the kingdom of God. So you don't really have to surrender to the laws of this world. You don't have to be governed. I'm not saying go on a protest in Washington. Please hear me. The laws of this world, sickness, death, poverty, curse, right? You don't have to surrender to those because you're not from here. You're from a kingdom that only offers blessing and birthright and inheritance and health and prosperity and goodness and peace and joy. And you have this access because you're actually a citizen. Uh, Ephesians 3.10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. I love those church scriptures. You should read those because a lot of people kind of nowadays get a little anti-church, disenfranchised, whatever. But, but I love reading it because it's actually through the church that the wisdom of God is made known, that God reveals himself through the church. Right? That word, by the way, is gathering right? It's, it's move, gathering and movement. In other words, I know people say, well, I can be a part of the church and not be at the church. And I don't want to argue with you, but you're wrong. And so, um, <laughs> and so this through this church that God does his work. Then verse 11 says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom, watch this, in whom we have boldness and access. And he doesn't stop there with confidence through our faith in Jesus. We have access through our faith in Jesus with confidence. We have confidence because it's about Jesus and not about us. See, if, if I'm depending on me to get access, I'm in trouble. Kind of like if I'm depending on me to find salvation, in trouble. There's 10 commandments. We can't even do those. This is why Jesus needed to show up. Because there wasn't a way. Are you with me? But now I can have confidence because it's based on Jesus. My access in the kingdom is based on him. My access to the kingdom is based on him. So I can have confidence as long as I have faith in him. There's really two keys to accessing the kingdom. Disposition and position. Disposition. What's the disposition? I've been conveyed into the kingdom. Right? I've gone through immigration. Been conveyed. Right? I remember when we brought Mariah home, uh, we, got, we, we had to go through immigration, not the normal immigration like when you've just been out of the country, but like when you're bringing someone in who is now going to live here immigration. And so she had a little bitty Korean passport. We still have it. Um, and when we came through immigration, everything changed and that was no longer valid. And then she was reissued papers at, for the United States. And then she became a citizen of the United States, like she went through immigration. So here's disposition, gone through immigration, right? When I believed in Jesus, went through immigration. And then the position, I stand in righteousness. Why? Because of Jesus. He became sin, even though he knew no sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in him, have confidence in faith. In other words, as long as I'm in the righteousness of God, righteousness is my position, because of Jesus, and I'm in the kingdom, that's my disposition. Right, and then we seek first the kingdom, and I love this, his righteousness. I think the kingdom works, even though I'm in righteousness, I think the kingdom works the more I seek righteousness. Seek first the kingdom and his, well, I'm already righteous, that's how I got into the kingdom. Right, seek first the kingdom and his, 
Because righteousness is the right, it's, it's the right way. In other words, righteousness is the way of the kingdom. It's always right. I can't expect kingdom if I don't do it the kingdom way. Are you with me? Does that make sense? And so we have this unlimited access. So we live differently. We live as citizens of heaven and we're actually living in the earth. So we have to learn about the kingdom, understand the kingdom. This is what the Bible's about, by the way. It tells us about the kingdom, tells us about the king. It tells us how, how, how life in the kingdom really works. This is why we come to church, right? Because we're all supposed to be learning kingdom, not religion. Kingdom, not religion. No, because religion can only send you to hell. That's the only place it can send you, right? Religion doesn't help us because religion puts onus on us. We got to act a certain way, right? Like, like it comes, comes into all this conflicting ideas. No, 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 no. Don't, trust me. Now I'm all about righteousness. I just said, pursue righteousness, bear fruit under righteousness. But the context is kingdom. There's only one group of people Jesus had a problem with and they had a problem with him. Want to guess who it was? The religious. Why? Religious people don't need a king. So, so limitless, are you with me? I know I'm talking fast. So limitless, God, limitless kingdom. You need to understand you have unlimited access. Why do I have unlimited? Because I'm in the kingdom. I can't access the kingdom unless I'm in the kingdom. But once I'm in the kingdom, I have unlimited access to the king. If I have unlimited access to the king, I can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy when I need it most. Unlimited access. I can't live an unlimited life till I, till I understand my relationship with unlimited kingdom. Because according to Jesus, there's poverty here, but there's prosperity here. And the way I move the kingdom to the earth is not by sight, it's by faith. Right? It's about being able to see a kingdom, interact with a kingdom. That's why Jesus said, repent. Change the way you see, to change the way you understand, change the way you think. Why? Because there's something unlimited here and you're only used to limitations. Last thing is unlimited potential or limitless potential. Um, I could talk a lot about this, but, but let me just start here. Because when we understand the kingdom, we have, now we have unlimited hope. And that's, that's where you need to start because we're in a world where hope seems to be very limited. Right, uh, But the kingdom offers unlimited hope. In fact, Colossians 1.23 says, If indeed you continue in faith, grounded and steadfast, you are moved away from the hope of the gospel. In other words, it says, put your hope in the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news of the kingdom. The kingdom that's here and there. It's now and it's not yet. Put your hope in the gospel. Why? Because hopelessness is always a result of placing your hope on something that can't bear the weight of it. Anytime I put hope on something that can't bear the weight of my hope, right? In fact, my experience to joy is always based on what I put my hope on because when I put hope on something that can't bear the weight of the hope, there's no way for me to experience joy. But when I put my hope on something that can bear the weight of the hope of it or the weight of my hope, then I can count it all joy even when things aren't going well. Because my hope wasn't built on my circumstance because circumstance can change. Like, let's be honest about this. Things we put our hope in that really can't bear the weight of our hope. Relationships. Right? We put on relationships. 
What's the number one problem in relationships? They didn't meet the level of expectation I needed to keep my hope up. Children, parents, we do this. I know he's going to be an astrophysicist. I know she's going to be a neurosurgeon. And they're all going to the MBA. Right? But sooner or later, they're going to mess up. Right? And, and children make great children. They make bad gods. Right? Or what about finances or work? Man, if I just had more money. Oh, this new job, this is the answer. This new position. And I'm convinced I work so hard when I leave here, they're going to put my name on the building. No, they're not. They're, they're going to throw you a retirement party, hire somebody else. Right? We, we, put, we put our hope on things that can't bear the weight of our hope and produce hopelessness. And this was the whole idea of the kingdom is that we put all of our hope in a kingdom that can't fail. And regardless of what happens in this earth, it doesn't matter. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweet refrain, but wholly lean on Christ, on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. There's only one place I can put hope and not be disappointed. And, and if I put my hope there, then I have limitless hope. Right? Um, uh, what about, what about uh, relationships? Talking about life in the kingdom now. Relationships. I, 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 can, I, I can win in relationships. Why? I have an unlimited supply of love. The love of God has been poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but the world has, seems to have a limited supply of love. They all buy LeBron jerseys, then they all burn them. <laughs> He's a basketball player, man. He's just making money. Like, it wasn't personal, it was business. But I bought this jersey. He's still a great player. He's not Michael Jordan. Don't even come at me with that. Don't even come at me with that. He's not MJ. That's all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm saying he's a, great, he's a great ball player. But you know what? In 20 years, the next great ball player, they're not going to compare him to LeBron. They're still going to be comparing him to MJ. Why? Because he's the baddest. Don't mess with him. I want to be like Mike. Um, anyways, um, but, but I'm saying we have this unlimited supply of love. In fact, Jesus gives us these hard words. Like you want to talk about the expanse of the love we as believers have. Which is Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies. Hold up. Love your enemies. And he doesn't stop there because most of them be like, okay, well, I prayed for them. Like, God, don't send them to hell. Do something nice in their life. <laughs> but then what's this? Do good to those who hate you. In other words, I'm supposed to do something that is benevolent to someone who hates me. And that doesn't include, well, I didn't kill him. That's not doing something benevolent. <laughs> That's not committing sin, right? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. I had someone ask me one time, well, pastor, I, I offered a cheek and they struck it and I offered the other cheek and they struck it. What do I do now? I said, turn around, you have two more cheeks. Offer the one from the one who takes your, your cloak. Offer your tunic also. Right? In other words, you, you give. You love. 
In other words, here, here's, what, here's what he said. In the kingdom, we have a capacity to love those who not only fall short of our standard, but those who actually oppose us, we can still love. Why? Because his love has been poured out in our hearts. Then he, then he gets to forgiveness. Like he has given us an unlimited supply of forgiveness. And I know because Peter comes to Jesus, he says, Jesus, how many times do I forgive my brother who sins against me? And, and at that point, the, the law, the rabbinical law said three times. And so he said, Jesus, seven times? Because I think Peter's guessing and he thought, if I'm going to guess, it's kind of like, you know, as a youth pastor, if I ask a question, I get Jesus, Bible, or pray. I was like, you know, like, what should we do every day? Bible. Who should we serve? Jesus. <laughs> what do we do when things go bad? Pray. You know what I mean? It's just the three answers we got all the time. And I think Peter's kind of doing one of those. Well, let me think. Okay, Jesus is going to go above. Grace is always going to go above law. Grace is always going to be more than law. Grace is going to ask you more than the law asks you. See, we forget this, but it does. The law says do this. Grace says surrender everything. And so then, then, then Peter says, okay, so okay, the law three times. If I doubled that, that'd be six. That's not a great number. That's the number of men. But if I go one more, that's seven. That's the perfect. Jesus, did we forgive him seven times? I think he was thinking, man, look at me, Jesus. And Jesus said 70 times seven in a day. There's an unlimited supply. That's why in the kingdom, unlimited. Here's what that means. Unlimited freedom for you. Because forgiveness is about freeing two people, namely you. It frees them and it frees you. As long as there's unforgiveness, you're bound to whatever happened to you. When you forgive, they're free, you're free. What, what, about, what about purpose? Romans 8 says, all things work together for good, those who have been called according to his purpose. And then it goes on to say, those he predestined, he called those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. In other words, he's saying, hey, we have this calling in Christ. Like he has purposed us. The Bible is full of this. God knows these plans that he has for us. Ephesians 2 says, it's by grace you've been saved. And because we've been saved, now we can walk in these things that he prepared for us to do, this purpose. And it says, I have this eternal calling with an eternal impact. Like that's the whole thing about prayer. In, in Matthew 6, Jesus invites us into prayer and he says, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That, that's actually not, um, it sounds like a petition in Matthew 6. It's actually a declaration in the original, original language. It's kingdom of God come and keep coming. Will of God be done and continue to be done. And here's what he's saying. You get to partner with God on how his kingdom comes to this earth. Like it's an eternal calling. It's a holy calling. We're, we're a kingdom of priests, right? And we get, to, we get to come to him, this special people, and we get to partner with God on the way his kingdom comes into the earth and the people that affects and the lives that are changed. Like last week, I didn't think about it. I preached like I do every weekend. And, and Julie and I were standing in the parking lot. This little lady had been baptized and she came up. She's like in her 50s um, and, and came up to us and she's just shaking and, and she said, I've just never heard the gospel and no one's ever explained it that way. Like, like, and you could just see God was just working on this lady. All I did was just something as foolish as preaching, honestly. And in that moment, I got to partner with God on, inter on eternally impacting this lady. And so did our whole church because she had been greeted on the way in and she had been served on the way out and she had been baptized not by me, right? So our whole church has now impacted this one, one lady who is precious to God, who I didn't even know, who you may not even know, 
But we are partnering with God in shaping the way the kingdom comes to the earth and the way it impacts and influences those around us. What about, what about supply? That's kind of the message. What about provision? Matthew 6.31 says, seek first, it says, don't be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Because the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. But, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added. So here's what he said. There are two kingdoms, and there are two ways to live. Seeking things out of fear or seeking the kingdom out of righteousness. Right? Seeking God out of peace, seeking God out of the substance of his kingdom, or seeking things out of fear. And here's what he's saying. Don't, don't be anxious. Don't fall in this trap of this world teaches there's limitless stuff and I need to seek the stuff. It's like, no, no, no. Seek the kingdom where there's unlimited stuff. Seek the kingdom and the stuff will take care of itself. Right? Stuff won't give you life. But if you find life, you'll get some stuff. Like, it's two ways to live. Two ways, like provision is not actually found in seeking provision. That's the whole message Jesus is saying. Don't seek clothing. Don't seek food. Don't seek shelter. Don't seek water. Seek the kingdom. Like th this, is, this is where the provision and the supply comes from. The kingdom. As long as you're trying to find supply in this earth, you're, you're searching and seeking a limited source of supply. But when you seek from the kingdom, it's unlimited. Don't, don't seek the stuff. It's limited. Seek the kingdom. It's unlimited. By the way, seeking the stuff is actually dishonoring to the king because it says you can't actually trust him to take care of you. And the glory of a righteous king is seen in how well he takes care of the people in his kingdom. Paul said this way to the Philippians, I'm convinced that my God shall supply all my need. I know the context is financial, but he's going to supply all that, all that I need, the peace that I need, the health that I need, the wholeness that I need, the finances that I need. He's going to supply everything. Right? It's Big Give Weekend, and what did I just say? Hey, we got to go back and seek the kingdom, not the stuff. Yeah, we want a building. We're going to seek the kingdom. We're going to find out what the steps are. God's going to meet our need. He's going to supply. He's already given us what we need to go where we need to go, to do whatever's next. But we're going to not worry about the stuff. We're going to worry about the king. Right? We're going to worry about the king. And this is what I want you to understand is that God has called you, we say this way, I can do all things. But do you really believe that? Because most of the time when we say I can do all things, really what we're saying is I can do some things. In fact, most of the time that scripture is quoted around something we don't believe we can do. Which is not bad. I'm just saying. God has actually called you to live a life that is beyond what you can dream or imagine. He's actually given you supply through a limitless kingdom. Your relationship to a limitless kingdom has given you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. Paul said it this way, if he didn't withhold Jesus, will he not also with him freely give us all things? I'm saying that the secret of doing and living a limitless life is to not look at what's in your hand and say it's not enough, but to look at what's in your hand and say it must be enough. In fact, it's probably more than enough.
It's not to look in the mirror and say, that's not enough. It's to look in the mirror and say, this has been called by God. I'm in the kingdom. I can do everything God wants me to do. I have everything I need. I can do everything God's called me to do. I must be qualified because he called me. Not to say, well, I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. It's to look at your relationships. It's, it's to look at who you are. It's to look at what is around you and say, you know what? I, I can do all things. I can be who God called me to be. And it's to lift your eyes up and stop looking at who you are in this world and start discovering who you are in his kingdom. And then live that out in this world. Amen. Can you give God a praise for a good word? <laughs> Why don't you stand with me? And